We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Thank you so much for listening. I learn a ton from doing this podcast, and I know you do too. If you'd like to support me in this, you can become a patron through Patreon, and that would mean the world to me. You can support me for as little as a dollar a month, but anyone who supports me for $5 a month or more We'll get the Transformative Principal Members Only feed, which releases the interviews as I record them rather than on a weekly schedule. If you've binge listened to any of the past episodes of this podcast, this is for you. And I know you're going to love it. So you're going to learn as quickly as I learn. And I thank you for supporting me. To become a patron, just go to transformativeprincipal.org. And on the right hand side, there'll be a little button that says become a patron. You can click on that and support me. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome to Transformative Principle, episode 201. Can you believe it? It's crazy. So in case you haven't done it yet, you can go to transformativeprincipal.org slash 200 stickers, and you can get a Transformative Principle sticker And uh, I'll send that to you. No strings attached or anything. It's just a plain sticker. And I'll throw that in an envelope and send it to you if you haven't gone there yet. But um, that's to celebrate 200 episodes of Transformative Principle. And today, my guest is Lucas Miller, who is the author of Beyond Brilliant, the Blueprint for Learning any beyond brilliance, excuse me, the blueprint for learning anything. And so, Lucas, thank you so much for being part of the Transformative Principle. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. No problem. So uh, we have, I think there's a lot that we could talk about. And what I want to start with is learn a little bit about you and uh, tell us a little bit about your story and, and talk to us about the process of writing your book as well. Sure, sure. So I originally from Southern California, I went up to UC Berkeley to do my undergrad there. And uh, I came in really passionate about engineering. I was always kind of a tinkerer as a kid. I like building things. 
And uh, about halfway through college, I took a class on perception, uh, kind of my first foray into studying the mind. Uh, and I was immediately hooked. I completely changed my course of study halfway in, I switched over to neuroscience. And uh, about my junior year, I uh, started getting really interested in memory. Uh, a lot of my classes were really information intensive and I had to memorize a lot of graphs and complex topics in a short amount of time. And so I knew that in order to succeed, I would need to you know, cultivate my memory to uh, the best it can be. And I, I got you know, into a few books. One of them, it's, you've, you've probably heard of it. It's Moonwalking with Einstein. Uh, it's this, this really awesome story of this journalist who in 2005 covered the United States National Memory Championships. It's this really interesting event that's hosted every spring in New York. And these are people who can memorize decks of cards in order in 20 seconds or memorize dozens of random names and faces uh, in a matter of minutes. Uh, and so he got really intrigued about you know, how are these people doing this? They must all be absolute savants. And uh, he decided to actually train with one of these memory athletes. That's what they're called. And he came back the next year and won it. And, and the main lesson is that, wow. yeah, yeah, he won it in 2006. It's like a real example of participatory journalism. But uh, the, the main point is that uh, we all have really powerful memory capabilities. Um, and with a little bit of creativity and uh, you know, using the right techniques, the techniques that you know, the Greeks and the Romans figured out to memorize whole books. Uh, we can all uh, use our brains better and more efficiently. And so after I read that, I just, I kept going. I was really interested in learning more. And I, I got to the point where I realized that there was so much research, especially new research, research from the last decade that was holed up in labs all across the country. And it was just in dense academic papers that aren't really approachable to the average high school student or college student. And so I, I really wanted to kind of as my last big project as a student, you know, find a way to take all of those research findings and translate them into something that was really digestible, really fun to read, really practical. Uh, and so that was the last year of my life, basically taking all of these different principles of memory and focus and problem solving, and even sleep and nutrition and combining them into, as the title kind of indicates, a, a true blueprint for mastering any subject, whether it is something like history, where there's a lot of memorization involved, or something like physics, which involves you know, a lot of critical thinking and problem solving. And uh, yeah, that that's the story. I'm doing speaking events around the Bay Area now. That's where I'm based and, uh, and really trying to push this you know, work forward. I think that, that in order to be an effective student and be an effective uh, person in life, uh, cultivating really uh, strong ability to learn is critical. 
especially given how fast paced the world is and, and how competitive it's getting. Uh, and so that's, that's what I'm really excited about. And yeah. There's a lot we could talk about, as you said. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think uh, the first thing that I'm, that I'm curious about is we're moving in K-12 education, at least away from the memorization model. And, you know, I don't think that we memorize things for the sake of a test, but we memorize things for the sake of our own convenience and personal growth and goals and things like that. So how do you reconcile that issue that we're now moving away from the need to memorize things? And what's your, what's your take on that? Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of people have uh, gotten to the point where they think that memory is less important because we have phones and we can take notes on them. We have Google, so we don't need to remember a lot of random facts anymore. Uh, we, we have all these tools that we can store information in external to our brain, which is great. It, it's taken a lot of the load uh, off of you know all the information we need to process, but it's it's also important to recognize that any kind of really durable, useful learning is is built on a foundation of memory. Right? You you can't, for example, uh, if you want to go into any field that requires math, you want to be an engineer, or you you want to do something uh, that involves numbers. Right? At some point, you're going to have to memorize the basics. They're basic formulas. They're basic symbols, uh, and so. Although we are getting away from you know, kind of the random fact memorization and regurgitation, uh, memory is just as important now to develop true learning as it ever has been. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how this trend progresses. Like, there are a lot of uh, people, especially in the, in the tech world, kind of in the area where I'm from, that are really excited about you know, our brains potentially getting hooked up to computers and being able to store uh, a lot more information than they currently can. Uh, I think the jury is still out on, on how our brains are going to store information and solve problems in the future, but I'm, I'm really optimistic. I think there are a lot of uh, really novel findings and research that are finally making their way into primary and secondary education. I think I think the model is. What are some of those things that are starting to make their way into primary and secondary education? What do you see as uh, like some some good valid research that we should be paying attention to as K twelve educators? Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned that you know the the model is kind of moving away from uh, just memorizing facts and, and spitting them back out on a test. And I think uh, something that that's finally starting to trickle down is uh, this notion of. There's a professor at Stanford named Carol Dweck who uh, in 2008 published a really awesome book that's called Growth Mindset. And the idea here is basically that there are two main mindsets when it comes to your approach to school or or just life in general. And one is the fixed mindset. These are the people who tell themselves, you know, I've been given a certain set of abilities. I'm good at this. I'm not good at this. And yeah, that's kind of it. I can't really do much to change it. And then there's another group of people who have adopted a growth mindset. You know, they might not be good at everything, but they recognize that they can learn new skills and solve hard problems if they just put in the effort. And and that's 
based on a, a really fundamental finding in neuroscience that has only really started to trickle into education in the past decade, and that's that the brain is remarkably plastic. It's given a certain set of abilities from birth. Obviously, you need to be able to find food and avoid tigers and, and survive, but it can develop a lot of skills that maybe genetically we didn't need to have. If you want to become a good writer, you can hone that skill through deliberate practice. If you want to become uh, an engineer or, or hone your ability to public speak or something like that. Um, and I think that's probably the first and the most critical finding that's trickling down because everything is based on this notion of I can become better, right? If If you think that you've just been given a certain set of abilities and there's not much you can change. Uh, it, it is hard to change your approach and, and see added potential in the future. Another thing that uh, I've been really happy to see is that a lot of classrooms I visit, I remember when I was in school, the uh, classrooms were incredibly quiet. Uh, everyone worked by themselves and you know, if you had a question or you were confused about something, kids were kind of hesitant to ask a question. They didn't want to look stupid or something in front of their peers or their teacher. And, and now I'm starting to see a lot of teachers emphasize paired learning where they'll pair up students that are friends or are really comfortable with each other. And they'll have them do these exercises where they basically explain concepts to each other. And, you know, that's, that's based directly off of a, a really powerful way that we learn, and that's by teaching. Uh, it, it's, it's one thing to be able to memorize something and, and spit it back up or recognize it on a test. It's another to be able to explain it, to come up to another human and, and take that concept, which is kind of stored in your head and in a pattern that's very personal to you, and then explain it into a simple sentence or two about you know, how it works and how you can use it and why it's important and so on. Uh, so that's something that's really exciting to me. Uh, studying and, and working in the classroom is becoming a lot louder and more collaborative, which, which is awesome. Yeah, I agree. I was just in classrooms today checking things out and seeing how I could help my teachers and uh, went into one class and she said, welcome to my organized chaos. And that's exactly what it was, every kid was engaged in what they were supposed to be doing. Every kid was talking. And, you know, 10 years ago, it would have been, boy, you don't have very good control of your class. Today, it's like a breath of fresh air. You know that every kid in there is actively engaged in what they need to be. And it's it's exciting to see when that happens. So I wanted to change gears just a little bit. And one of the things that is very difficult for educators all over is uh, being able to stay focused and not get distracted by uh, new technology tools or shiny little things coming around or, you know, whatever else. And one of the things that, that you and I talked about talking about today is, is how we stay focused when we have all these distractions in our life. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So, uh, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of questions in the past year about, how to study better, you know, what tools should I be using? What app should I be using? And, you know, the first thing I usually tell people is, I mean, it's great to be looking up all these tips and, and downloading apps and stuff, but 
it's really important to take a step back and, and consider you know, one of the, the really important skills uh, that's important for learning, getting any kind of meaningful work done. And that's the ability to focus for a long enough chunk of time without getting distracted. And uh, unfortunately, it's becoming harder and harder to do that in our world as we're just constantly being barraged by notifications from our phone or emails or Facebook or or whatever is uh, kind of pulling us away from whatever task we're, we're supposed to be or, or we want to be working on. And uh, I, I was doing some, some research on this actually recently, trying to come up with like, some trends and whatnot. And I, I was looking at a UCI uh, study, and they basically in 2008, they, they wanted to figure out how much time passes before uh, an average person who works in an office or an average student, how much time passes before they get distracted. And they, they came upon uh, 11 minutes, which honestly, it's, wow. not, it's not that, that's not that surprising, actually. You, you can do something in 10 minutes. You can, uh, you can read a chapter or something in 10 minutes. But what's, what's really surprising is that in 2011, they did the exact same thing. That went down to three minutes. And they anticipate that it's about 70 to 90 seconds nowadays, which means that every time you sit down to read a book or you know, go over your flashcards or, or do something that really requires your entire brain, your attention, it's hard work, right? There's a ping that comes in. There's, there's someone talking to you, some movement in your periphery that is pulling your attentional resources away. Just having your phone nearby, uh, even if it's off, is is a reminder that there's this really stimulating external world out there that uh, brings validation and brings excitement and, and brings all these things that we like that are rewarding to us. Uh, and so I think you know one of the the first big ticket items that I, I talk to students about is you know really figuring out a way to like, manage distractions. They're, they're not going to go away. Our, our world's getting more and more stimulating and lit up and there are more devices and more screens and stuff. So that's not going away. So if, if we want to be able to cultivate an ability to learn hard topics or do work that, that's important, you know, not just answering emails and doing kind of low-hanging fruit, we need to cultivate this ability to sit down with one task and direct all of our attention on it for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, maybe longer if we need to. And uh, the way I typically, you know, introduce changes when you're dealing with any kind of ingrained habits is is one at a time. Right? A, lot, a lot of people, when they hear me talk about this stuff, go, "What? Every 90 seconds or every three minutes? That's crazy! I, I'm going to change everything up. I'm going to I'm going to sit down. I'm going to work for 45 minutes straight, and and it just doesn't work because any kind of change has to be gradual, and so. The first part is uh, changing up your environment. So that can be as simple as, you know, just put your phone away. Get, give it to your friend or your parents or put it in another room when you're, you're trying to study or get important stuff done. And then another easy thing is to put in headphones. You don't need to be playing music. It's just kind of a way to reduce some of the background noise. Uh, and then cardinal sin. And this is something that is still interesting 
to people. I, I could talk for, for hours about this stuff, but uh, multitasking. Like it, in our culture, it's yeah. very uh, prized. It's a skill that is looked upon favorably. You know, people will put, I'm a good multitasker on the resumes and stuff. And uh, unfortunately, when it comes down to just the pure neuroscience, it's not even possible to do that. Uh, your brain literally can only do one thing at a time. Just listening to me speak right now is taking up about 60% of your cognitive resources. That's kind of why if you listen to two people talking at the same time, you can kind of get both conversations, but you can't quite understand with people. That's because 60 times two is you know 120% of your capacity and you don't have enough uh, resources to fill that gap. It's the same reason why if if you're driving and you know you miss your exit or something, the first thing you do is you turn the music down and like start focusing. Uh, it's because multitasking is is literally not physically possible. And there, there's this really a lot of people at this point go, you know, at that's interesting. I still don't believe you. Okay. Which is fine. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, this is, this is my follow up. So in, uh, I think it was 2010, maybe 2011, there was a, a researcher at Stanford. He's a specialist in how people process information. R- really interesting research. And he basically tried to figure out how students are so much better at multitasking than older people. Like he tried, he was trying to figure out how all these Stanford students who were in class and on the phones and on laptops and talking to people at the same time uh, could manage all of it. And so the, the findings were pretty interesting. The, the first finding was that the, the abilities they anticipated to find in these, these people who were self-identified good at multitasking just weren't present. They, scored lower on pretty much every test of cognitive function. So their memory spans were lower. Their uh, ability to sustain attention for a long period of time was lower. They are more distracted. They, uh, they're worse at filtering out irrelevant information. And it, he kind of went even further. He went, the, the more people think they're good at multitasking, the worse they actually are at multitasking. And, and the people who think they're bad at multitasking and the people who say, oh, I'd, I prefer to do one thing at a time, you know, I get distracted easily, are actually better at multitasking <laughs> when they tested them. Interesting. Um, so the, the main point, I guess, is if you think you're good at multitasking, you're probably not. And in general, uh, intentionally going about one thing at a time is, is a lot better in terms of uh, using your brain more efficiently, you'll use less energy, you'll feel better afterward, you'll be uh, more emotionally stable. And uh, But yeah, it, it is a complex topic, but it, it's an important problem and it's not going away. Yeah, absolutely. So like, what are some practical things that we can start doing uh, to train ourselves to focus better? You mentioned putting the phone away, changing your environment, but I know there's got to be more and I know that practice is part of that. One of the things that I've been doing for a while now is using uh, the mastery journal, where you take a, 
block out a certain amount of time, 30 or 40 minutes or whatever, and you work hard to accomplish just one thing and make that your focus. And then you, you know, reward yourself with a 15 minute break, you know, Pomodoro kind of stuff. And exactly. And that that's been very effective and helpful for me. But in addition to that, um, I'm sure that there's there's more to it. And I suspect by extension, the idea is not that you are 100 percent focused on the work at hand every single day, 24 seven, but that you need to be more present in whatever it is that you're engaging in. And sometimes that means relaxing and not, you know, doing work. So just talk about some of the other practical ways we can improve our focus. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's absolutely right. When I mean that we need to cultivate an ability to focus and and whatnot, it it doesn't mean that, you know, we have to be really intense all the time and and we should always be putting our foot on the pedal. No, it's the important takeaway is that uh, we work best by expending energy and then building in a break, a rest, a, a period to renew that energy. A lot of times humans, like our brains specifically, get uh, equated to computers you know, that, that were meant to run continuously for long periods of time on multiple things at once. And, and unfortunately, that's just not the case. Uh, so, so when you're talking about you know, the method you were trying out with, with the Mastery Journal and Pomodoro, what, what that basically takes advantage of is, is our natural cycles, which... Uh, we have natural cycles about every 90 minutes that uh, dictate how alert we feel, uh, how tired we feel. And, and usually it's really hard to go longer than about 90 minutes until you start to feel fatigued and, and stressed and, and in need of a break. And so you know, the strategy that I always recommend to students is uh, instead of you know, sitting down to read something or do homework and along the way, taking a, a little break to check Twitter or Google something or whatever, to, to be intentional about how you work, to, to set aside a period of time. Maybe it's just 15 minutes and uh, you know have a very clear purpose for that time. And then once that's done, then you can take a break. Then you can check your feeds or go talk to your friends or do whatever you need to do. But the strategy of cycling between very focused work and then taking a complete break where you can disengage, you can kind of give your mind space to think and and be more free flowing and its thoughts is is really important. Uh, So what I've seen a lot of of really successful students too, they're very much on when they're on, when they work, they're working hard. And then when they're done, they're totally done. They're having fun, they're, they're doing whatever makes them happy, playing sports, whatever. Uh, they don't really kind of engage in this half work where you're, you're doing work for a couple minutes and you get distracted and you, you kind of go back and forth, which results in basically you, you've done a lot of work, but you didn't really complete much. You, you haven't made much progress toward, uh, toward where you want to be. Uh, another, another really practical yeah. And if I can, yeah, yeah. before you go on to that next tip, I just want to interject here. One of the things that we as principals and school leaders get all the time is just a flood of information and an expectation that we are always on and always, 
you know, available to respond and things like that. And so one of the things that I've worked on also is creating an ideal week that I develop. And if you go to transformativeprinciple.org slash ideal week, I can walk you through that process of what that looks like to set up an ideal week. And then that blocks out specific time for you to do that focused work so that when you're when you're not at your desk doing the work, you shouldn't be thinking about the work that you need to be at your desk doing, you know, and that makes it a lot easier to get out into classrooms, support teachers and things like that. So that's a, a great way to to add some extra support to that idea of of making sure that you're working when you're supposed to be working and then not working 100 hours a week, which is very easy to do also. Yeah. So the the next tip, there, there are a couple here, but this is something that people generally find interesting, uh, like how to optimize those breaks. Uh, so a, a lot of times students will say, well, breaks are nice and stuff. You know, they'll make me feel better, but I'm still not getting anything done during that time. Uh, and what I say is, okay, well, the way you can you can really make the most productive use of that time uh, is to introduce one or more of the, the following four factors. And one is movement. So the second you sit down, which is you know the way most people work, you start to kind of shut down. You get less electrical activity from your waist and down. There's less blood flow. Uh, you start to fatigue more. Uh, so it's really important uh, periodically to get up, stretch out, you know, kind of give yourself an energy boost by moving. Uh, you can take a walk. You can you know, do anything that, that will get you out of your seat and kind of a little more active. Another really effective way of, of renewing your energy so that when you get back to your focused work, uh, you, you have as much to bring to the table as possible is social connection. So if you have friends around or, or you have someone you live with or something going to talk to them, human connection is super important for all of us. And it's a, it's a really w- great way to decrease our stress levels, which get built up after working on something hard for a long period of time. Uh, and then two more, uh, these are kind of my favorite ones. If you can see anything green, it could just be the color green or it could be plants or something uh, literally just looking at something that is green basically tricks our brain into thinking that we're in nature and that we're looking at plants, which is just in a very primitive way soothing to us. Uh, and, and so that's something people don't have a long time that they can use. And the last one, Interesting. the last one is laughter. Uh, laughter is probably the best way to do two things. It decreases your stress levels. So, you know, you're not as worried about deadlines or you're, you're not as worried about the quality of your work. If, if you're not quite to a, to a point in your essay or something uh, that you're happy with. And then two, it it gives you a nice boost of a chemical called dopamine, which is kind of the flagship reward chemical that, that makes us feel good. That makes us, uh, feel a sense of progress. Uh, and so like a lot of times I will just watch a YouTube video of 
babies laughing or, or something just ridiculous <laughs> because I, I know that it is one of the best ways to change the, the chemical balance in my brain really quickly. Like whenever I give uh, any kind of talk at a school too, uh, I'll usually start by playing uh, a short video of babies just laughing uh, and it gets everyone in a good mood and you, you can really see the the change when people are sitting down and, you know, it's been a long day and they're tired to just, they've seen that they're ready, they're attentive and then they're, they're interested in what happens next. Yeah. I love that. I got a great story with that. I had a pretty stressful day a few days ago with just a ton of stuff going on and one thing after another. And I sat down uh, with my assistant principal and we were talking about the day and, and all the stuff that we had been through. And um, I had made a, uh, a mistake in, in commenting on something earlier in the day that was turned out to be me totally putting my foot in the mouth, in my mouth and just a really dumb thing to say that was totally innocent, but was really stupid. <laughs> and, and so as soon as I said what I said to my assistant principal, she started laughing and then I realized how absurd it sounded and I started laughing and it was amazing how after we, you know, giggled like school children for 30 seconds to a minute, how much better we both felt and, you know, just like how much we needed to laugh. And part of it was we really needed to laugh because we were both stressed out from the the intensity of the day and we felt so much better. And once we did that, then the the issues that we were dealing with didn't seem quite as big once we could take a break and laugh about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's a very effective way, of kind of neutralizing all the all the negative emotions that build up, especially on stressful days. Yeah. So this has been a great conversation. I've learned a lot and um, got a lot of ideas of what I can take back. I'd like you to kind of wrap everything up in a nice little bow and answer the question. What is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal? Uh, do you mind if I say two things? I'll, I'll keep them pretty short. <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> okay. I think the first thing, uh, especially for principals, you know, they're the leaders of their schools, uh, is to be really intentional, kind of like you said, with the ideal week that you uh, designed about how you structure your schedule, uh, you know, as someone who is expected to answer emails from administrative staff and parents and be available to teachers and visit classrooms, right? There's all sorts of different kind of work. Some of it is, you know, more analytical and creative. Some of it is more interpersonal. It's really important to figure out how you can design a day where, you know, you have some time to work on really important work that takes intense thought. And then you have time to answer emails and talk to people, just kind of batching together tasks of the same type, as opposed to throughout the day answering emails and, and kind of jumping back and forth between things because, you know, with so much to do, it, it's easy to get overwhelmed if there's no purposeful design to how you spend your time. And then I think the second thing is just uh, as, as someone who, again, is the leader, is, is setting the, the philosophy and the, the 
course, uh, the future course for the school and the district and, and whatnot is uh, to encourage a, a mindset among teachers, those on the forefront who are you know, putting in a lot of extra hours who are, who are directly responsible for what goes on in the classroom to be open to new ideas and to you know, give them opportunities to engage with some new findings, some, some new research so that they can always be improving. Right? Uh, it's easy, and, and I don't think this applies just to teachers, once you get into a career for a, for a few years to start to rely and kind of fall back on what you've always done in order to, to do the best job you can, you know, it's, it's not enough just to pick up the curriculum from last year and just repeat it exactly like it was executed the year before. Uh, so I think just really cultivating, you know, a spirit of let's, you know, talk about what's, new, how we can improve. Let's, you know, sit in on each other's lessons and learn from each other and give each other feedback is, is really important. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Uh, love that approach. I, I appreciate your time. I've learned a lot. Thank you so much. And can, can you let us know how we can connect with you and learn more from you? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I'm, I'm most active uh, on Twitter. My username is, uh, Lucas Allen Miller. Yeah, that, that's probably the best way to reach me. Uh, if anyone is in the Bay Area by chance, I live close to Berkeley, so happy to meet people in person who are, who are fans of the show or, or want to learn more in person. Yeah, it was, it was great being on. I, I love talking about this stuff. I, I'm really excited about it. Cool. Thank you so much. It's been awesome. So in this interview, I talked about the ideal week that I did. I did that as part of uh, some training with Michael Hyatt. And if you have not heard of Michael Hyatt, then I encourage you to go to transformativeprinciple.org slash best year ever. And you can sign up to be part of Michael Hyatt's best year ever program that has really helped me do some amazing things in the last two years. I will definitely be doing that again. And please make sure you uh, check that out. And it is worth the time and effort that goes into it and has really allowed me to unlock some of my own personal hidden potential and meet some goals that I think are pretty lofty um, that I've been able to reach because of that. So transformativeprinciple.org slash best year ever. Transformative Principle is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators by educators. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com dot com for more great podcasts. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra helper intervention, 
meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.